Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, I pray that a fresh anointing be released in every person that's listening to this, that's watching this. Lord, that your presence would settle over them like a blanket, even right now. And Lord, that your spirit would brood over every life, prepare their hearts and minds to be good fertile soil right now for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Lord, I pray that um, the words of the Lord will come out of my mouth as you speak through me, as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil. That will be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold fruit, hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, by the awesome anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you would captivate every person to give you their best ear, their full attention, their focus, to get locked into what you're speaking to them, that there's no distractions or hindrance. We bind that away right now in Jesus' name. The Bible says the enemy tries to steal the seed, but it's not going to happen. We bind that. And Lord, I pray that the light of your truth would shine in to every life listening and watching, into every area of their life, and dispel any type of darkness or lies of the enemy, any deception, any pet doctrines, and replace it, Lord, with truth. And Lord, that your word would shine forth and go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And even as I'm speaking, Lord, I pray that people will receive a fresh anointing, be filled with your spirit, and just saturated in your presence. That your glory would settle over them right now as a weighty, weighty blanket. And Lord, anoint our eyes and ears. I pray that we would have eyes and ears of the spirit. To see what you're showing us and hear what you're speaking. We thank you, Lord, for it. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray and believe it to be so. Amen. We'll talk about the priesthood of the believer. Part two. Last week I talked about the inward journey, just kind of laid some groundwork. But I'm going to talk about unity among the brethren, amongst other things tonight. But let me tell you, not everybody has eyes to see and ears to hear. Oh, there's a lot of people that are living in this outer court area in Christianity. I'm going to talk about that. But Jesus would say that in his ministry. You know, he'd say that people have eyes, but yet they don't see. Remember the scripture he quoted where he said, um, ever seeing but never perceiving, you know. In the book of Revelation, all the churches, he would say that those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, let them see. And hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And and a lot of people don't have that. And the way that you get eyes of the Spirit and ears of the Spirit is to get past the outer court into the holy place. Okay. Let me read a few scriptures and just get into this. And we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to do tonight in the Word. 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 5, 9, and 10 says this. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you're being built into a spiritual house, living stones. Also, verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, who once were not a people, but now the people of God. We have obtained mercy, but now we have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
So we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So as Christians, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house, but also we're a priesthood that are offering up sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord. And not every sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord. So we need to go back and understand. That's why it's so important that in Christianity that we understand the Old Testament because it laid the groundwork. See, when Jesus came... A lot of people from Gentile nations have a really hard time understanding a lot of the things that were going on because Jesus came to the Jewish people in a deeply entrenched culture of Judaism that went way back, and he himself was a Jew. And so all of that New Testament ministry that was going on was within that culture. And so a lot of people don't understand the culture Therefore, they don't understand everything that was going on. You know, if you take something and you look at it, it's two-dimensional. If I was to take something on a piece of paper and draw it, it'd be two-dimensional. But whenever you take and you, outside of it, you put shadows around it and begin to make it look third-dimensional, it gives depth to it. And that's why the book of Hebrews talks about that things are a type and shadow. In the Old Testament, it was a shadow of things to come. When you understand the Old Testament and you understand the New, you because of the Old Testament, you get depth. And so what I'm trying to say is, as Christians, we've got to understand the Jewish roots of Christianity to really have the depth that God wants us to have. And so one of the things I'm going to be doing is I'm going to go back and give you your Jewish roots. See, what happened was when Paul took the gospel to Rome before he died, in 70 AD, um, Vespasian, Titus, they came in and they wiped out Jerusalem. Millions and millions of uh, Jewish people were scattered among the nations. It was reported somewhere I read that there was about a million of them that were crucified. They tore down the temple, stone upon stone. They tore it down literally exactly like Jesus said, pulling stone off stone because they were looking for gold in the mortar. And they scattered the Jewish people. But see, Paul had taken the gospel to Rome and what happened was because of the de destruction of, Ju of Jerusalem and that early church that was established there, Christianity gradually became more and more Gentile, and because of that, it went into the Dark Ages. They lost their Jewish heritage, their Jewish roots. See, when Jesus died and rose again, and the disciples that he trained began to pastor the church there in Jerusalem, they did not have a New Testament. They understood all of the Old Testament the law and the prophets, they understood it by the Holy Spirit through revelation. And they would preach based on that revelation. And what is concerning is, is that a lot of the church out there, a lot of ministries, a lot of Christians amongst the Gentile nations, they don't want anything to do with anything Jewish. And I'm talking about the Old Testament. I'm not talking about 
stuff that's traditional or whatever like that. I, I'm not going there. But I'm talking about understanding the Bible, understanding uh, the writings of Moses and the prophets and really having some depth in that. They don't want that. And they're trying to create their own pattern and their own pattern out of their own culture and out of their own mindset is not always going to work. That's why you have all the different denominations and all the different things going on out there that don't have the glory. From a very credible source, I just heard this the other day, that one of the most popular full gospel denominations right now only has about 14% that are actually baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. That's concerning. But there's something somewhere that got off course. So to be firmly established in the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, we have to have some depth We've got to have some roots. We've got to have some kind of foundation. You know, when you learn a language of any kind, if you go to try to, to learn a second language, you have to learn the basics of their alphabet and, and different things about that language. You can't just go in and try to learn over here like long words and sentences without getting the basics first, or you're going to end up messing up the grammar and that's kind of where I'm going with this. We've got to get some, some foundational teachings. And a lot of... See, the Lord did not make denominations. They're man-made. But a lot of them, I would say all denominations across the board, all of them, have gotten traditional pet doctrines, established patterns, politics, traditions of men, religion that has become powerless. It's just a shell of what it could be. It's not going to be able to really adequately stand up against the spiritual warfare that's coming in these last days. It's really not. And that's why there's so much turmoil right now within a lot of them. But when you go back and you understand, Jesus taught us, he said, if you don't believe the writings of Moses, you're not going to believe what I have to say either. Right? Alright, so let me read one more scripture and get into this. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133. It is like the precious oil, the precious ointment poured over the head that ran down the beard, even the beard of Aaron, the first high priest, that came down upon the collar and the skirts of his garments, consecrating the whole body. It is like the dew of lofty Mount Hermon and the dew that comes on the hills of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded his blessing even life forevermore upon the high and the lowly. You know, and I don't know why people think that God's going to move where there's a lot of disunity and discord and strife and contention. He's not going to move. We've got to come together in unity. All right, so let me just kind of get into some things. I'm, I'm going to take my time with this series, if that's okay. And I'm only going to cover a little at a time. This may go on for a long time because there's a lot of ground, but I'm just going to do a little at a time and build upon this, but mainly I'm staying right now in the outer court. 
Let me give you a few things, and I'll talk about the outer court. The picture that I created above with the ark and all of that, within the ark, there was the rod of Aaron that budded the Ten Commandments and then the jar of manna. That was inside the ark. The reason why this lamb was superimposed there, in front, in, well, on the ark, is because it's all fulfilled in Christ. The blood, where the blood is, you can see that lamb and you can see that cloth there that, that represents the blood, but where the blood is applied, the glory of God comes down over that blood. And that's why you see in between the cherubim there, you see that, that fire, that glory. I put that together because I wanted to give you a picture of where the blood is, the glory is. Lord, I thank you for your glory. I thank you for your presence. So I feel, even as I'm preaching this, I feel... Something's trying to hinder people from receiving this. It's not. But anyway, Lord, we just pray right now that be bound back any religion, whatever it is, trying to hinder people from receiving and getting everything God has from them. We bind that. We thank you, Lord, for giving us good fertile soil and locking us in right now in Jesus' name. All right. So you see the priesthood. I'm going to explain all the priestly garments and all that as we go. But see, all of that that was within the ark, the ark represents the glory of God. What was within the ark now, the jar of manna, is a picture and type of what we take as communion now. You know, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Not only that, but you see the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone that were inside the ark. Now, we have those tablets of stone that the law is written upon our hearts as Christians. The rod that budded, Aaron's rod, we now have authority in Christ. So this is fulfilled in Christ. But all of us have to work together. In the Levitical family, all the people had a function and worked together. There were three classes of family that descended from Aaron. And I did a really interesting study on it. And the priesthood... From Aaron, we know Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Nadab and Abihu died offering strange fire. So their families kind of were cut off. And then that remained Eleazar and Ithamar. But Ithamar's descendants ended up being Eli. And if you remember, Eli and his sons were wicked. And God killed them and said that they would not be any more of that family line. So down that family line of Eleazar came Zadok the priest and and all the way down to John the Baptist. That's the family line. But in the family, the Levitical family, there were three different classes. And they all worked together. They did not have people that were jealous, that were fighting over position. We've got too much of that in church. The, the Gershom family, they were in charge when it was time to pack up the tabernacle, move to a different location, and follow the cloud, follow the fire... The Gershom family were in charge of the curtains and the cords. The Kohath family were in charge of the ark and the furniture. The Moriah family 
the poles, the boards, the sockets. They did not have strife about, hey, I want to be over here carrying the ark or this one doing this. They just worked together in unity to move that thing around. And you see in church too many times people are vying for a position and they're frustrated because they covet what somebody else has and what somebody else is doing. Instead of just being faithful and loyal with what God's called them to do. The intercessors, the prayer warriors, are really a helps ministry. The picture and type of that, obviously, was Aaron and her. Aaron, obviously, became, through his line, the priestly family. Her was a part of the judicial system that, that was set up in Israel. Um, and Moses, while he was there, he had to hold up his arms. And many of you remember the story. And the, the children of Israel were fighting down below. And the, as long as his arms were up, they were winning. But he needed help with that. And so Aaron and Hur came on each side of him, put a stone on him, sent him down and held up his arms until victory was complete. But that's a picture and type of prayer warriors and intercessors. And I'm going to tell you, as leaders, we need people praying for us. The people that are a part of, like her, the judicial, the Knesset, those that, that make up the uh, administration, those people that were, that are bored and, and staff, leaders and churches, they need to be praying. But also Aaron, the priestly ministry, those that are intercessors and prayer warriors that are really called to that in an awesome way, the leadership need that prayer. And you know, Sister Lila Turhune teaches a lot on cross-pollination, but the strength of the harvest there that comes from cross-pollinating. There's something about going where God is moving and receiving that impartation. And over time, as more and more of that impartation gets in your life, the more and more the impartation gets in your life from different places, it's as though God is strengthening within you. He's strengthening you. He's strengthening the anointing in your life. And, and it's causing your ministry to be strengthened. Also, there were three classes or three different divisions in, in the priestly family. And there's three classes and three divisions in the body of Christ. There's the 30-fold Christian, the 60-fold Christian, and the 100-fold Christian. The 30-fold Christian are those that function serving and giving. The 60-fold Christian are those that have learned to be prayer warriors. The 100-fold Christian has not only been somebody that's a servant and a giver, and not only been a prayer warrior, but they've learned to function with authority in what God's called them to do. We have spiritual authority over the enemy. Amen? And those that understand their authority, who they are and what they have in Christ, those are, those are the ones that can begin to move up into a hundredfold. But I'm telling you that because we all need to be faithful to be servants and givers. We all need to be faithful to be prayer warriors. And we also need to be faithful to rise up and take our authority over the enemy. Aaron had four sons that represent today what we have as the fivefold ministry. So let me now talk about the outer core. The tabernacle was about the size of a football field. Okay. The way that it was set up, the long sides were a hundred cubits, and then the, the shorter sides were thirty. And so this was a rectangle, the size of a football field, approximately something like that, just to give you an idea. The outer court area, you can look at that picture, the outer court 
was the area that had natural sunlight. See, when you went inside the tent, inside the tent was lit up with revelation. But on the outside there, it was, it was natural sunlight. And people that have not gotten out of the outer court have not moved out of natural revelation into spiritual revelation. Hope y'all really give me your best ear tonight because this is what's so important. Everybody can lock in and receive this. Even with the Brownsville revival, it truly was a outer court revival. You know, Cho prophesied that it would begin in Pensacola, but it would end up that America was ablaze. So this was not the end, but rather the beginning. And so the Brownsville revival really was about souls being saved, and that was the bronze altar. And then it was about those water baptisms that they had, and that was the labor. But that's pretty much where it stayed. And Pastor Kilpatrick had a powerful revelation that he preached in that revival about the mystery and power of a blessing. But the blessing being spoken, that was an outer court experience. He also preached a powerful truth about leprosy in your house. I may talk about some of that. But that again was outer court. It was cleaning out your life. Getting the sin out of your home, getting the sin out of your life, getting clean. And so the Brownsville revival, as powerful as it was, was still an outer court experience. And if that was an outer court experience, imagine what's coming. Think about it. Because once you got out of that outer court and you moved into the holy place you begin to get a deep, profound understanding about the table of the Lord, the Lord's, uh, where communion was, which has to do with healing and deliverance. And I believe that's what's coming. I really do. I believe that there's a powerful move of the Spirit right now about healing. And God's going to powerfully start moving in deliverance as well. And then you had the lampstand, which brought tremendous revelation and brought the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it concerns me because you see a lot of people right now um, are not, even among full gospel circles, are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, what has happened? That even one of the most mainline full gospel denominations is admitting that they only have about 14% of people baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. See, Satan is trying to steal these things from the body of Christ. But once you get out of the outer court into the holy place, that's where that is functioning. And so, see, the Brownsville revival wasn't really so much about the healings and the deliverances, even though that was happening. Because, I mean, once you get in God's presence, anything happens, you know. So that was happening. And it wasn't so much about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, even though that was happening some. But I believe the Lord is about to put an emphasis back on these things again. And the outer court was lit up again with that natural sunlight. And so that's where a lot of the body of Christ is right now. When you go to, to a lot of ministries, a lot of churches around, a lot of Christians, what you find is, is that they, yes, they've come through that eastern gate. There was only one way in this tabernacle. There's only one way that you're going to be able to come to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's it. There's, God's not going to accept you through any other religion or any other name 
other than the name of Jesus Christ. He's not going to accept it. He's not going to accept any other sacrifice, any other offering other than the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And see, when you came to this tabernacle, it the first place you had to go, you had to go through that gate. You could not go in any other way. Jesus taught that a thief and robber tries to climb over the fence or come in another way. But those that know the Lord, and see, that eastern gate was made of blue, purple, scarlet, and white linen, and it was decorated. And what that represented is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the blue represented Jesus as the Son of God that's come down from heaven, blue like the sky coming down from heaven as he was presented in the gospel of John. The purple represents Jesus as the King of Kings, the King of the Jews. Purple always speaks of royalty as he was presented in the Gospel of Matthew. The white represents Jesus as the sinless man, the Son of Man that never sinned as he was presented in the book of Luke. And the scarlet, the blood, the suffering is how Jesus was presented as the suffering Savior he was presented that way in the book of Mark. And so when you see the blue, purple, scarlet, the white linen, you're coming through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're hearing that and receiving that. And now, because you've accepted that, you move straight into that outer court. And the first place that you're taken is a bronze altar. It was made of wood and it was overlaid with bronze. And in that altar is where people would bring their sacrifice. They had to come in that east gate and they would bring their goat, they'd bring their lamb, they'd bring their bull, whatever it was that they brought with them for their sin to be forgiven. They brought it in and the priest would receive that and kill it and they would take its blood and they would sprinkle it on that bronze altar on all four sides. And that bronze altar had been there for years and it was soaked and caked with blood. So the very first thing you would see when you come through that gate is you would see blood. And you're seeing right now how Satan is trying to get Christianity to deny the blood and get away from the blood. And they're afraid to preach on the blood because they think it'll offend people. Well, it might offend some people. The gospel offends people. But we don't shy back from it just because it offends some people. There's no other way that your sin can be washed away other than the blood. Why would we shy back from the blood? But that bronze altar, bronze speaks of judgment. This was where the sin of the world was judged. One day fulfilled in Christ, okay? This was representative of the cross of Calvary. Just like where Jesus was hanging, there was blood all over that cross and all over the ground. There was blood all over this bronze altar. It had four horns. It had a horn on each corner. And that's the horn always speaks of power. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood, is the power of God. Amen? And this is the power of God unto salvation. The bronze altar. And they would take that sacrifice. After they sprinkled the blood on the sides of the altar, they would cut it into five pieces, and they would put it on that altar. Jesus was pierced. In five places, his hands, his side, and his feet. And they would take that. There was fire that was burning in that altar. And they had to keep that fire continually going. They would put that, that animal there in five pieces on that fire and it would be burned up. Jesus, the burning, the burning that took place there represents the judgment. 
Jesus took the judgment of your sin and my sin on the cross. This is the bronze altar. This was what was preached night after night in the Brownsville Revival. And you saw hundreds of thousands, even millions perhaps, get saved because of it. The Lord is calling that once again we will preach the gospel and we will preach the cross. I don't have time to get into it. I've done so many teachings on this in times past. But there's so much symbolic about the cross. The crown of thorns. How Adam, uh, the Bible says that the, the, the ground was cursed. And by the sweat of his brow, he would have to toil. Jesus broke that. You know, it broke the power of that curse that came from Adam. That now we can have supernatural provision. When Jesus' beard was ripped, what was lost in the garden was the glory. And But now, because he bled from his face, now the glory of God can arise and shine upon us again. His hands were pierced and there was blood all over his hands and came out of his hands. But now, because there was blood on his hands, now we can have the power of the Holy Spirit in our hands to destroy the devil's work. Blood and water came out of his side. How did God make a bride for Eve? took the rib out of Adam's side. So it was, Christ was gaining a bride. How is a baby born? Blood and water. See, Jesus, when that blood and water came out of his side, there was a bride that was coming. There was children that were going to be birthed into the kingdom. You seeing this? When Jesus' heart burst, that's how he died. His heart was broken. When Jesus died of a broken heart, he paid for our hearts to be able to be bound up and healed his feet were pierced so that everywhere the soles of our feet tread we can have dominion over the enemy there's something in our feet there's something in the dance there's something about where you walk places geographically there's an authority in our feet as christians there is there's something in our hands it goes back to the cross and where jesus shed his blood the cross not only paid for our sin to be washed away. In the Old Testament, sin was covered. But in the New Testament, sin is washed away. Meaning it's gone. It's eradicated. It's not just covered up. It's gone. Jesus paid for our sin to be washed away and gone. But he also paid for our healing. His back was plowed. I mean, it was ripped open. 39 stripes to pay for sickness and disease. When Jesus died on the cross, it says, Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. That was under the law of Moses. And what happened? He could have died any way that God the Father chose, but he died hanging on a tree. Why? So that the curse of the law would be broken. And the blessings given to Abraham can come on us as Gentiles. He's in the order of Melchizedek, meaning he's not just a priest to the Jew, but he's also a priest to the Gentile. The one new man, both Jew and Gentile, in Christ. That's the bronze altar. The power of God is in the preaching of the blood and the cross. And God will back up that gospel. He won't back up other things. He won't necessarily back up your opinion. There's sometimes our opinions are right and there's sometimes our opinions are wrong. But God's not going to back up your opinion. He's not going to necessarily back... Um, back up your attitude. He's not going to back up 
He's certainly not going to back up pet doctrines and traditions of men. But when you preach the blood and the cross, he will back that up. That's why the Bible says that God worked with the early church, confirming his word, his word, with signs that followed. So you go through the gate, that's the only way in, and now that you've accepted the gospel, and now you've seen the cross. See, even in the Old Testament times, they died in faith in the one who was to come. And the Bible says about Abraham that he saw Jesus' day. When he took Isaac to sacrifice him, remember, he called that place Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. But the Bible says that he saw Jesus' day. He saw it. God revealed it to him. So the Old Testament saints died in faith because they knew that there was one who would come. They knew that the blood of animals was a temporary solution, but they died in faith. They died covered in that animal blood, so to speak, for their sin. Their sin was covered, and they died in faith in the one who would come one day. And when Jesus came, he was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world, and he fulfilled that. And those were the people that were down in paradise. That whenever he died and went down to hell, he confronted the devil, but he went over to paradise and took those people out. All those people that were in Abraham's bosom, all those people that died in faith, he brought them out. He fulfilled it all. Now once you go to the bronze altar, the cross, and you understand why Jesus died and who he is, the next place is the laver. That's why it's so important to be water baptized. There's power in that. But also it's the washing of the water of the word. The laver was bronze and it was made up. There was no dimensions because you can have as much of the word as you want. There was no dimensions. We don't know how big it was. But it was made up of the women's looking glasses that they brought out of Egypt. They polished these looking glasses and used it as a mirror. And they donated it to the tabernacle and it was melted and created this laver. Meaning that you look into the laver of God's word and you can see yourself and how you need to be sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the water of the word. That you see the areas in your life that need to be washed. And the priest could not go into the holy place without first offering up blood for their sin. Number one, first they had to get washed in the blood. They had to atone for their sin. Secondly, they would go to the laver and have to wash their hands and feet. Once they were washed in the water of the word, then they could go into the holy place. See, the washing of your hands is our works of our hands. The washing of your feet is your daily walk. And how many knows whenever you walk throughout the world that your feet get a little dirty? Spiritually speaking. And so when you come in, you've got to get washed. See, the priest, the Levitical priest, I don't want to get ahead of myself too much. I'm actually going to close this down pretty soon because I want to do just a little at a time because I want you to really grab hold of this. And we're, I'm looking at, for all the interns, I'm looking at getting some videos and things that maybe you guys could get together and watch that will go a lot deeper. Okay. But the priest, they had these white garments like what you see in the picture. Those were the Levites. And they had a turban on their head, which represents your mind being renewed. They had the garments of salvation. They had the white 
like pajama bottoms that they wore as undergarments. You can't see them. But listen, the Bible calls this the robe of righteousness and the garment of salvation. Why? Because to put on the breeches, they're white. You have to take them down to the ground and then pull them up. Jesus came down and was raised up. That's the garment of salvation. And the priest had to wear that because if they went up to minister, if the Bible says if their shameful nakedness was exposed, that they would be killed. So they had to wear these pajama bottoms. You cannot go in without having your shameful nakedness covered. In other words, you've got to be clothed in righteousness. And that comes from accepting Christ as your Savior. And that robe that they wore was the robe of righteousness. And it went around their neck all the way down to their ankles and down to their hands. And it was the white garment. See, linen is what they wore. And linen speaks of righteousness. They were made righteous before God. And there was a white sash that they would tie. And it was like a belt. And that white sash represents sexual purity in my opinion. But here's the thing. The priest, all of them had this righteous clothing. But there was a special garment called the ephod that without that ephod, you could not get inside the holy place. That ephod was blue and it would be put on from over the head down. And what that represents is the awesome baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes from above and comes and clothes us with power from on high. Amen? That blue tunic represents the clothing of power. I'm not going to go deep with this because I'm going to come back. Is it okay I teach more on this later? Okay, I'm not going to dwell on every little detail right now. But it had bells and pomegranates along the bottom. And those bells, the bells represent the gifts and the pomegranates the fruit. Okay? But they could not get into the holy place without that garment. Here's what concerns me. You've got a lot of the church that's hanging around the cross, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all love the cross. But they're hanging around the cross, and they're hanging around the laver, always talking about salvation and water baptism and being discipled in the Word. And all of that is good, and all of it is important, and we need it. But they don't ever talk about the baptism and the Holy Spirit and being clothed with power and getting beyond the basics and into revelation and getting into God's presence. They don't talk about that. And that's where they're missing it. Now I'm going to tell you, I don't know how serious this is or not. Let me just tell you my personal interpretation. But there was a parable that Jesus said that there was a man that came to the wedding feast and he did not have on the wedding garments and he was thrown out. The wedding feast is when the Lord comes and He takes the bride, not everybody that professes to be a Christian, but His remnant, His bride, those that know Him, those that have been washed and ready, He's going to take them up to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is the wedding feast, the marriage supper. And Jesus said that, yes, He ate with them when He rose from the dead, but He said, I will not drink of this cup again until I do with you in the kingdom. He's going to do it at the wedding feast, I guarantee you. Most likely, we're going to take communion. But nonetheless, we're going to be with Him. What Then what are the wedding garments? It's the priestly garments. 
It's the priestly garments. The white garments will get you into heaven. But let me just ask this question. Why is it that the person was kicked out when they didn't have on the priestly garments, they didn't have on the wedding garments? What was it that was lacking? It just makes me wonder how many people are not ready for the Lord's coming because they're not, they don't have on the clothing of power from on high. They're not filled with extra oil. Jesus said that when he comes, there's ten virgins, five of them were foolish and they weren't ready. And five of them were wise and had extra oil. I think we're looking at something similar here. The clothing of power. The, the extra oil. Do you see where I'm going with this? There's something that is the Lord is trying to tell us in this. That we need this to be ready for His coming. And there's people, bless their heart, we all need to visit. We all need to go through the gate. All of us need to go to the bronze altar of the cross and be saved. We've got to be. We've got to be born again. All of us need to go to the laver and be baptized and be discipled and washed in the water of the word. But we're not supposed to sit on our hiney and camp out there the rest of our Christian life. God is wanting us to be clothed with the blue tunic of power and to go into the holy place and find him and have a relationship with him. It's a relationship. See, outside in this outer court that's lit up with natural sunlight is religion. You see what I'm saying? I'm speaking metaphorically. But that can become just religion when you just hang around there. But when you get in the holy place, in the holy of holies where God's presence is, you're going into relationship. That's what God wants with us. Adam and Eve lost the relationship. God is restoring back the relationship. But you've got to have that blue tunic to be able to go in... You know, Derek Prince said the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the introduction in your Christian walk to the supernatural life in Christ. That's the beginning. I'll talk more about the priestly garments later. But the outer court, that outside part, represents, symbolically represents your flesh, your body. The holy place represents your soul. And the holy of holies represents your spirit. Now follow me. Also, the outer court can represent God the Father. The holy place, God the Son. And the holy of holies, the Holy Spirit. So when you get into that deep place in God's presence of soaking in His presence, your spirit is calling to the Holy Spirit, deep calling to deep. Is this making sense? I was talking last time about the inward journey. You've got to get past your flesh. You've got to discipline your soul, your mind, and get in the spirit. That's what I'm talking about. You're moving past the outer court, through the holy place, into the holy of holies. Everybody following me? And then also it represents, when you do the numeric value of the square cubic feet, it represents the 1500 years of the law. So you have the outer court which represents God the Father's ministry to the nation of Israel, the time of Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, the law. Then when you look at the holy place, the cubic square 
circumference and the feet, whenever you multiply it together, you get 2,000. And it represents the 2,000 years of the church age. And then the Holy of Holies represents, it's a 1,000, and it represents the 1,000-year reign of Christ. There's a lot in here, friend. It's deep. But God is wanting us to get past the outer court. He's wanting us to get into the holy place. But the holy place now, the veil's been ripped. And so the holy place and the holy of holies are not that far apart anymore for us as Christians. So how do you get past the outer court? Obviously, we've accepted the gospel and we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've been water baptized. And yes, we do still need to wash our hands and feet and be washed in the water of the Word. But you get past it through the blood. And also, let me say this. God's going to really deal with some of you, and I hope that you lay hold of this, but some people don't like change. Just telling you. And when you try to teach on the tabernacle and you try to teach on a new pattern and you try to teach on prayer and you start teaching on how to go deeper in God a lot of people have been doing the same thing for so long that you start talking to them about change but they don't want to embrace the change what if God was to take what you've known as a prayer life and threw it like a pottery on the ground and shattered it and said, hey, let's start all over now. Let me teach you a whole new way of doing this. Would you be willing to do it? But some people, would they would do it for a week and go back to the same old thing. Churches that, that hear things like this and they change for a couple weeks, maybe a month, and then they go right back to the same old stuff. The way that you get into the glory, I'm going to tell you, number one, you come through the blood, but you've got to enter His gates with thanksgiving and praise. Have you ever considered spending some time in thanksgiving, thanking the Lord, and praising Him? See, a lot of people, and, and I'll preach on this, and I, unfortunately I know how it is. There's people who hear this all over through the internet and all that. That'll hear this and they'll do it maybe for a little while and they go right back to the same old thing. What if you stuck with it? See, when you enter in with thanksgiving, you enter in with praise. Praise is the shouting, the singing, the clapping, the dancing. You enter in with praise. And then that goes into worship, and you worship the Lord. Now, with technology like it is, this isn't that hard anymore. But in the days of these guys, it was your voice and your little harp, your little tambourine, whatever it was. I mean, that was it. But nowadays, I mean, you can put on some really anointed praise and worship to help you out. What would it be if you spent some time coming through the blood, getting covered in the blood, and you entered in in praise, and you entered in in worship that ushered you into God's glory? People say, well, that's just for church. Wrong. That's the pattern for you, and that's the pattern for the church. I'm just dealing with outer court stuff right now. See, the table of presence, I don't want to get into this on this lesson, but the table of showbread, the bread of, it's translated in Hebrew, the bread of faces or presence, where God's face is, His presence, the communion, 
And then you had the lampstand, the, the move of the Holy Spirit. But see, as you begin to enter in with praise, put on some praise. Lock yourself in a room. If you don't want somebody to hear you, go lock the door. Go pray, begin to praise. When you enter into praise, and then you move into worship, what's going to happen? The presence of God's going to invade. And you're moving in, you're going from the outer court, or outer court area into the holy place. Where the Holy Spirit is. And He's moving. But as you praise God, you're moving past the outer court of your flesh. And then as you move into worship, you're moving into the soul area where your mind is getting focused on Him. And pretty soon, you'll be in the Spirit, where now it's Spirit to Spirit. The Holy of Holies. But see, the tabernacle, when Jesus died, His physical body was ripped. Which resulted in the veil ripping so now there's not this gap so for us as Christians when you're in the holy place you're not all that far from the holy of holies either so as you're worshipping and you enter in see the priest would go in to that holy place and they would sprinkle that incense and it would begin to send up this smoke and that's your praise and your worship and your prayer and your intercession and those bells that were chiming now for us is the tongues. I worship you, Lord. That's the incense. That's the bells that are chiming. And you're moving through that holy place and you're learning how to move now with the Holy Spirit. He's giving you revelation. You're in His presence. You're learning how to pray. Let me end with the outer core. Is this okay? I just take this little bit at a time. I don't want to do a whole lot today. So the outer court was a white fence. The white linen speaks of righteousness. And remember the priest had on that white linen. You know what that you know why that's important? Because not only did it represent righteousness, but linen is a material that does not cause you to sweat. And that's important. Because the priests were not supposed to be sweaty. Let me explain that. Sweating represents that you're doing stuff in the flesh and you're striving. You're in the flesh. The priest wore that white linen to keep themselves from sweating because they're not supposed to be doing things by the flesh. They're supposed to be doing things by the Spirit. How many people out there are trying to conjure things up and do things in the flesh? They think that if we can get loud enough in church, if we can spit enough, if we can yell enough, if we can do this, you, that's, that's striving. That's like sweating to try to make something happen. When if you'll do it God's way, it's easy. It's by the Holy Spirit. But the white fence represents righteousness. And it had these wooden acacia wood boards. In the tabernacle, those that are taking notes, the wood, the acacia wood represents humanity. So you're represented in this fence too. Remember Paul, I mean Peter said, we're all living stones being built into a spiritual house. We make up this, individually we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, but we also collectively make up a temple, a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. But it had these wooden poles, and on the bottom of it, it had a bronze area that we would sit in. And it had silver cords that would hold it straight up. And it was covered in righteousness. It was covered in the white. 
So what that represents is we, as human beings, have come to Jesus Christ and our sins have been judged and cleansed. So now we're upright, we're righteous before God, and that bronze around the feet represents that we've gone to the cross, our sins have been forgiven, cleansed, judged, now we're able to stand upright before God. The silver cord, silver speaks of redemption, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And those cords now hold us in an upright, righteous state because we've been redeemed. And the white now covers us because now we've become the righteousness of God in Christ. So that's what it represents. But there was only one way into that tabernacle, and that was through the blood of Jesus. That's it. So let me, let me close out with this. I believe that when Rodney Howard Brown came to America in the 90s, or the late 80s, early 90s, and revival began to break out, this is what I close with, so you all hear me. Ezekiel saw a river that flowed from the throne of God that would perpetually get deeper. And Ezekiel saw that, you know, people were walking out and, and at the beginning of it, it was ankle deep. Then it went knee deep. Then the river was waist deep. And then it was over your head. That's the pattern. When Rodney Howard Brown came, I believe that God took America into the ankle deep river. When Toronto broke out, and Toronto was incredibly powerful, by the way. A lot of revivals that are happening now go back to Toronto. Bethel has its roots in Toronto. IHOP has its roots in Toronto. Lou Engel has his roots in Toronto and many others. Okay. When the Toronto revival broke out, it went knee deep. I believe when Brownsville broke out, not in Father's Day in 95, God moved it up to waist deep. And I believe what's coming is going to be like an over-the-head river. America is going to be ablaze in the fires of revival. And Dallas is going to be the hub. These prophetic words will happen. If Brownsville was just an outer court of experience, what's going to happen? You see what I'm saying? I mean, you guys have no idea because many of you weren't there. Brownsville was like every night, the most one of the most powerful, let's say that you were hit by the power here, under the power, and you felt that. It was like that every single night. The power of God was awesome. And I thank God for that, but that was yesterday. Now it's time to stop hanging around the bronze altar and the, and the laver and let's get into the deeper things, okay? Thank God for Brownsville. Changed my life. But now it's time to move forward into the holy place. And I believe what's coming will visit the table of showbread. It will be healing and deliverance in an awesome way. Healing and deliverance in an awesome way. Thank God for the healing ministries that's already beginning. But it's got to be much more than that. And also there's got to be a major move of deliverance too. And I believe that we're going into the Holy of Holies. And the Bible in the book of Amos, it predicts that um, David's tabernacle would be rebuilt before the Lord comes. What David's tabernacle was, 
See, this tabernacle of Moses ended up in Shiloh, and nobody really knows what happened to it from that point, okay? But David loved God's presence, and so he sent to bring the ark into Jerusalem. So they went down, and you know the story without me going into it. They brought the ark from um, Shiloh area into Jerusalem, and David pitched a tent, and he would always go there and worship and pray. What's happening is there's a move toward this. It's going to progressively get there eventually where David's tabernacle is rebuilt, spiritually speaking. That we get beyond, the body of Christ gets beyond the bronze altar and the labor. And this is where we're at right now. We get to the table of showbread and the lampstand and we really begin to move in some powerful revelation, powerful healings and miracles and deliverances and and, and all that's there, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But it's going to go from there into David's tabernacle being re- rebuilt, which has to do with praise and worship and prayer and intercession in the glory. That's where it's going. It's going to end up there. I believe we're getting a taste of it, but it's really going to be something powerful. So these are the roots. And Edward Miller said that he had 50 students. How many of y'all read that story I posted about Edward Miller? Wasn't that something? Okay. If you didn't read it, it's on Facebook. You need to read it. Edward Miller was the one that went to Argentina, and it was dead. It was dry. He was frustrated. He, he would do everything you're supposed to do as a missionary. Go witnessing every day. You know, missionaries will look at it like a non... I mean, not that they all do this, and I don't mean this to sound secular but i mean it's it's their employment's their job so you'll go you'll get up in the morning spend time with the lord and go to work you're out there witnessing winning souls praying for people trying to church plant etc but edward miller was having no success in argentina it was catholic and it was also steeped in the occult and spiritism and so he was not getting anywhere he was frustrated and god spoke to him if you'll start praying So he heard from God. So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray eight hours a day, just like I would have a normal work day. I'm going to pray. Other people started criticizing him and said, you don't need to waste your time praying. You need to be out doing stuff. But how many knows that's what I'm talking about, the sweat? Here they are striving, trying to make something happen. He heard from God, so he began to pray. And as he sought God and prayed and prayed and prayed, God put on his heart not only to keep doing that, but now to get some other people that they would pray from 8 in the afternoon till 12 midnight. And if they didn't want to stay the whole four hours, go home and don't even bother showing up. So he announces this. And there was three people that were willing to do this with him. <laughs> One of them was backslid too. So anyway, they came. And while they were praying, he said it was dead and it was dry. How many have ever felt that way? You felt like you're plowing. Just to be honest with you, this story really encourages me because this is exactly what I feel like we've been dealing with in the DFW Metroplex, just to be honest. We've been, we've been having to plow for some time in prayer. But as they prayed, some of you have already heard this story, but this, this little woman had heard from God to hit the table. But she was embarrassed to get up in front of everybody and slap the table. 
And Edward Miller would close out and say, "Did anybody?" Because it was it was dead and dry for four hours. He would say, "Did anybody get anything at all from the Lord? Please speak now." And she would hold her peace. And finally, one day, she said, "Everybody said no, no, no." And she said, "Well, maybe." And he's like, "You might have got something, you know, because I mean it's been really dry. So when you've been in that, you're ready for anything." And she says, "Well, I felt the Lord tell me to strike the table," which seemed ridiculous. But anyway, she, she didn't want to do it. So Edward Miller said, okay, well, we'll have everybody else do it first, and then you can do it last so you don't feel so silly. So they went over there and hit the table. When she came over last person and she struck that table, the power of God, the heavens opened, the power of God, and it hit that place so hard, so strong, that she fell to her knees and began to weep. And it's, if I remember the story right, she began speaking in tongues. Didn't she get baptized in the Holy Ghost? And everybody there had some kind of major heavenly encounter. This opened up something over Argentina. I know that it started with Edward Miller and three people praying, but it broke the heavens over Argentina. Do you understand that? Sometimes people think that smaller numbers, but sometimes smaller numbers get a lot more done because they're unified. It's hard to unify large groups of people. They each got their own agenda. They want to infight. They've got their own opinions. But God will get a handful of people that He can unify that literally will crack the heavens over, over nations and the heavens open over Argentina. So now the Holy Spirit's moving in their little group. And so Edward Miller begins to plant a Bible school and it ends up with 50 students. One of the students, I don't remember his name, a foreign young man was out in the woods praying and an angel shows up. It scares him so bad that he takes off running. I mean, he's hauling it. The angel right behind him. He's running back to the Bible school, beating on the door, runs inside. The angel runs in with him. The Holy Spirit breaks out in the school now in a whole new move of the Holy Spirit. This is a true story. Verify. The Holy Spirit breaks out in the school now. And listen to what happened now. They got their first breakthrough. Now is the time for number two breakthrough. The angels showed up. The atmosphere of heaven was there. And they started having encounters with God. This young man who was foreign, I don't think he was illiterate, but he was very uneducated, was, was now caught up. And he was shown the last day revival. Now listen to this. As he was seeing different places the Holy Spirit would be touching all over the world before Jesus comes, he began to speak those out. Now he's having some kind of a vision. He is out of it. But there's people around him that are listening to what he's saying. He's, he's with the Lord floating around somewhere. Watch, okay, he's, he's not really, he's, he's there but he's not. He's having a vision. Okay, But they're around him watching him and listening to him. And he's speaking by the Spirit of God that there's going to be a great end time revival and God's going to touch all these places. Now listen, not only did he name all these places God would pour out his Spirit, but he said it in their native tongue. This is an uneducated young man that didn't, you know, he spoke one language, okay? But he was speaking all of these places 50, 100, 200 of them, every single one of them in their native tongue. Edward Miller is from here, so he knew English, but he distinctly remembered one of the places being Toronto. Now, this happened way before the Toronto Revival. Now, all of that happened, and then God sent Tommy Hicks, and you know the story about the great revival that took place there, and that, that changed a lot. But then, of course, later on, you have Carlos Anaconda and all you familiar with his ministry and Claudio and the great Argentine revival. But it all began with four people 
that were praying and it was dead, it was dry, it was frustrating, they were plowing, that Edward Miller spent all this time out witnessing and never saw any fruit. Frustrated. Frustrated. But eventually it moved its way into a great revival. It's like Elijah when he was in that birthing position, so to speak, and he was travailing, 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 and finally he saw just a cloud the size of a man's hand. God's laying some awesome groundwork in Dallas, but you've got to understand, this is preparation for the great revival down the road. You know, America's going to be ablaze in the fires of revival. It's going to happen. Dallas will be the hub, and God's trying to prepare a group of people that when it's time, they're ready. They're ready to be able to capture the harvest in, to gather it in and disciple them and operate in the power of God. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to go through this series and and teach about the deeper things. This is going to help prepare you. Okay. So Lord, I thank you for what you've done tonight. We can shut down recordings, but I thank you, Lord, for the understanding of the tabernacle and the priesthood to take us deeper than we've ever been. In Jesus' mighty name.